With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you love narrative podcasts but don't want to listen to ads? Cast Media is now offering ad-free listening with a Cast subscription, Cast Plus. You get ad-free access to not only Scoundrel, history's forgotten villains, but also great shows like Opportunist, Vigilante, Good Cult, Nighty Night, Media Circus, and their new show, Lost in Panama. Along with ad-free listening, Cast Plus also includes bonus episodes and inside looks into making the shows. And this is just for Cast Plus subscribers. Find out more by going to castmedia.com slash castplus. That's castmedia.com slash K-A-S-T-P-L-U-S. Let me tell you a story. A story about outlaws, about the kind of ruthless, violent, no-good ruffians who terrorized the American West for decades until the slow but steady march of progress and industry tamed those lawless lands, and the rebels and roughnecks of dime store novels began their dirge-like procession toward the ignominious annals of history. But we're not here to tell you about outlaws you already knew. Billy the Kid, Doc Holliday, Hoodoo Brown. Their exploits are well-documented. No, we're here to tell you another story, one that escapes many Wild West history books, but has nonetheless managed to remain a part of that land's mythos for more than a century. In this little cabin out in the wilderness, two of the most sought-after outlaws in the country hide their faces from the law. Wanted for bootlegging, cattle wrestling, aiding and abetting, and general mayhem. Though the list of purported crimes has grown significantly in the recent months since their little spree. But here, as they count the coins from their latest hustle, they can't help but feel like the richest girls in the world. Neither of them is older than 16. Not that that's ever stopped them before. Jenny Stevens and Annie McDoolett, Catalani and Little Britches, as they will come to be known, arrested the attention of the entire frontier for a time. And they did so before their 18th birthdays. A pair of teenage rebels with no cause but their own, no taste but for their own adventure, no limit but for their own imaginations. Suddenly, horse hooves can be heard outside. One girl hushes to the other as they hear a posse approach. There's a voice shouting, Come on out now. We know you're in there. Today, the law has finally caught up to these two friends, and it's right outside the door. Still, Jenny and Annie have been in this position before and they aren't about to go down without a fight. The girls ready their guns. They take a deep breath, steeling themselves for the fight to come. But as they stand there, waiting for the torrent of bullets, they wonder, what was it all for? We'll get to that. But all you need to know now, as Jenny and Annie embrace for a good old-fashioned firefight, is that they're ready to go down as they always envisioned, as legends. History happened. The good, bad, the ugly. This is the underside of history. The lesser known pieces lost in the bigger picture of time. From the creators of myths and legends and from cast media, this is Scoundrel, history's forgotten villains. 
We're Jason and Carissa Weiser. Join us every episode as we explore the dark, quirky, and bizarre history that you might not have heard before, but really should. This week, we're bringing you the story of Catalani and Little Britches, whose story is so steeped in frontier legend and Wild West myth that it's impossible to know exactly how much of it is true and how much of it is the fabrication of a population obsessed with the idea of these two young, pretty, ruthless outlaws. Some say they lied, cheated, stole, and murdered while they were children. Some say they were wayward rugrats who got away with petty crimes for a bit longer than most. The truth lies somewhere in between, but the reality is, legend is precisely what Catalani and Little Britches sought to become. It's a story about desperation, about two young women longing to make something of themselves, to be more than what their lot in life said they could be. They wanted romance, adventure, freedom to make their own way, and they did it all, truly becoming the stories that they told. Born in 1879, Jenny Stevens lives her entire life in the adventurous plains of the American Midwest. First in Missouri, then Kansas, then back to Missouri, until her family eventually settles down in Pawnee County, Oklahoma. Jenny's family ekes out a living however they can, putting together a small farm and working odd jobs to set food on the table. Her parents hope her meager education might lift her out of the poverty she's been forced to grow up in, might open her eyes to the world at large, show her things she can strive for if she works hard enough. It does, but not in the way they think. You see, as a teenager, Jenny devours books and what little free time she has. But not just any books. Among the dime store novels and fragile paperbacks circulating around the frontier, there's one particular genre that catches Jenny's fancy and she never lets go. Outlaws. To Jenny, these men embody everything she wishes she had. Money, respect, possibilities, the freedom to go anywhere, do anything, and live life by their own rules. These men don't simply eke out a living in the hard, unforgiving soil they were born on. They take what they want, like engineers of their own destiny. It's everything Jenny doesn't have. Jenny is obsessed with being an outlaw, and her obsession grows with her. Soon, that life seems nearly close enough to touch. It's not uncommon to see bandits and outlaws passing through town, and stories of their exploits reach her ears. The James Gang, the Younger Gang, Bell Star, or Jenny's absolute favorite, the Doolin Gang. William Doolin is the epitome of everything Jenny found romantic about the outlaw life. He's rough, tough, strong, successful, but generous to those around him. In truth, he owes his ability to stay one step ahead of the law more to that generosity than to any skill as a criminal. He's known for sharing the wealth from his latest robberies and heists with the locals wherever he goes, endearing himself to them and ensuring their tight-lipped secrecy when the lawmen come asking about him. He's the Robin Hood of the Wild West. The Stevens family being among those locals, William Doolin and his gang stop at their ranch on several occasions to water their horses and take in some Midwestern hospitality, giving Jenny a first-person look at the outlaw lifestyle. She hangs on every word as he details his exploits, and her dreams grow even bigger. But Jenny already has all the skills an outlaw might need. She knows how to ride, how to rustle cattle, and according to all the stories, she's a fantastic shot. Although, to be fair, every famous outlaw, man or woman, garnered the reputation of being a dead eye, whether it was true or not. Either way, this will be a bit of a pattern the deeper we get into Jenny and Annie's story, as myth and legend supplant fact. 
When she turns 15, Jenny decides to make her dream a reality. One night, Jenny wakes while the rest of her family is fast asleep. She's spent months saving money. She's bought provisions, ammunition, men's clothing to disguise herself, a pair of little britches, you might say, that still hang from her tiny frame, a look that will become eponymous for her. She borrows a horse from her father's stable, a horse that the family cannot afford to lose, mind you, and she leads him down the drive, away from the ranch, and safely out of earshot, she takes off. And just like that, Jenny is free. Free from her obligations, from her family, from everyone in her way of being the person she's always wanted to be. And she knows exactly where she's going. She's gonna find the Dueling Gang. Jenny rides across the plains all night, searching for William Doolin and his band of merry men. But they aren't in their usual hideouts, no longer in the places she knew them to be. She grows tired, but it does nothing to dim her resolve. She loses her horse, but it does nothing to quench her thirst for adventure. Jenny Stevens will be an outlaw, even if it kills her. Eventually, she gets her wish. She finds William Doolin and his gang. They rise to greet this strange, diminutive figure casting a slim shadow in the moonlight, unsure if it means friend or foe. But Jenny explains herself, tells them her story, who she is, where she's from, details her dream of joining them, of being somebody, and they laugh at her, but only at first. Doolin stands and approaches this young girl dressed in boy's clothing, sizes her up, searching her eyes for the resolve within. He nods and tells Jenny to climb atop his horse. Of course, she obeys. Doolin rides with Jenny through the night. It's a long and arduous journey, the second one she's been on today already. Yet, despite her excitement, she drifts off to sleep. And she wakes up on the front porch of a neighbor's house with a note pinned to her shirt from William Doolin, asking whoever finds her to deliver her home. Hey everyone, Jason and Carissa here. If you're enjoying Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains, we would really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review. Also, we'd love your feedback. Go to castmedia.com slash scoundrelfeedback and answer our survey. Thanks. You can listen to Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains, ad-free on Amazon Music. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The embarrassment is enough for her father to bear. But the horse she lost sends him over the edge. He beats Jenny furiously once she's deposited back at home. Maybe the hope is to scare her so badly that she never does anything like this again. Maybe the intent is the same as the way her father breaks horses and cattle, a beating to break the spirit. It doesn't work. There is nothing that can quench the fire in Jenny Stevens' belly. Not her guilt, not her father's rage, not even rejection by her idol. She will be an outlaw. As faithfully as she knows the sun will rise tomorrow, she knows this. A year goes by, and we find Jenny, now 16, at a local country dance, where cowboys ride from all over, 
sometimes more than 50 miles, for a chance to woo some beautiful young lady. But as Jenny enters, she seems a bit different. All the other girls snicker and gossip about her. They all know the story from the last year, how she stole her own father's horse to join William Doolin's gang, and how he laughed her all the way home. They know how disappointed her parents were, so disappointed that she left home and married a horse trader she barely knew named Benjamin Migkiff. They know that he is nothing special, a man reportedly 20 years her senior, and no great love of her life, just a way out of her farm and her laughable reputation. But Jenny pays them no mind. Because across the dance floor, there's someone who isn't laughing at Jenny at all. Someone who admires her bravery, who doesn't want to mock her, but rather follow in her footsteps. A young woman by the name of Annie McDoolett. And their chance meeting tonight will change both of their lives forever. As Jenny learns that night, she has a kindred spirit in Annie McDoolett with a very similar story. Born in 1879 to poor Midwestern parents, hired out to work odd jobs and bring food home for the family. Annie has a bit more of a formal education than Jenny, having attended the Cherokee Nation Mission School as a young teenager before her family resettled in Oklahoma. But what really brings these two together is their mutual love and respect for the American outlaw. They've both read the same dime store novels. They've heard the true stories. Unlike the other girls, Annie respects Jenny's attempt to join the famous dueling gang. And before the end of the night, the two become best friends. And at another party not long after, Jenny and Annie have the experience of a lifetime when Annie's then-boyfriend alerts her that an acquaintance of his has just arrived. Red Buck Waitman, a card-carrying member of the dueling gang, with a respectable $5,000 bounty on his head. Unfortunately for Annie's boyfriend, he's signed his relationship's own death certificate by introducing her to this debonair bad boy. Annie was enamored with Waitman from the start, despite the fact that he didn't share her enthusiasm. To him, she was just another silly little girl with a crush, one he was happy to entertain, casually, but not one he felt he needed to take seriously. Annie McDoolett and Buck Waitman may not have been destined for marriage, but their meeting did change the course of her and Jenny's lives in another way. It finally got them in with their heroes. While this introduction to their outlaw idols' lives is a dream come true for these two young girls, it doesn't mean that the other aspects of their lives are going well. Remember Benjamin Midkiff, Jenny's much older husband? Well, he and Jenny decide to go into the hotel business around this time. Hospitality is a good industry out here with plenty of travelers looking for lodging. Perhaps it's a way to lift themselves up and climb the social ladder. Unfortunately, Benjamin quickly finds out that Jenny is providing a bit more hospitality to their male guests than he is willing to abide. After just six months of marriage and several compromising moments, Benjamin returns his wife to her father's house, no longer interested in being married to a woman with such proclivities. Jenny's father is not pleased. But that doesn't stop this indomitable young girl. She's gone again within a day, stealing yet another horse from her father. That same year, she meets and marries her second husband, Robert Stevens. But that doesn't last long either. 
she leaves Robert within a few months. The truth is, Jenny is like the wild horses on the Midwestern plain, unbroken, unbridled. She's done some things that people judge, true, but maybe Jenny isn't a bad person. What she's after is something many of us all want. So she focuses her thoughts and rides to the only person that truly understands her, Annie, her best friend. Annie never settles down in her youth, never marries, never even attempts to live the domestic life. She knows it's not for her. She wants adventure, agency, independence. And together, she and Jenny decide to make history. Through Buck Waitman, Jenny and Annie are able to befriend William Doolin and his gang. And this time, Jenny is determined to not make a fool of herself. The first thing she and Annie decide is that if they're gonna be outlaws, they need to look and act the part. They ditch their dresses for shirts, pants, and kerchiefs. Jenny, who looks much younger than Annie, despite being the same age, can't even find a pair of men's pants that fit her. Doolin and the gang laugh at the way they hang off her childish frame. Then maybe this is where she earns her nickname, Little Britches. She and Annie spend every spare moment they can with Doolin and his gang, by this point called the Wild Bunch, as if they needed to be any more appealing to teenage dreams of freedom and rebellion, they tear across the Midwest, robbing trains, stagecoaches, and banks, often sharing that wealth with the local population. They're installing themselves as folk heroes among the less fortunate and the downtrodden. But even with their proximity to the Wild Bunch, Jenny and Annie still can't be taken seriously as outlaws. They're simply left behind at the campsites to cook or wash and mend clothes or sent into town to gather information about how close the law is to finding the men. They do manage to save the gang on at least one occasion, alerting them to the marshals closing in on the location of their camp. It isn't the outlaw life that Jenny and Annie imagined. They don't want to be bystanders or sidekicks. They want to be legends. So they put their heads together and think, how can they make a name for themselves out here? What can they do to stand side by side with the likes of William Doolin and the Wild Bunch? Of course, there's a bit of a learning curve to all those train robberies and bank heists, but there is one thing the girls know how to do already that may help prove themselves. At the time, cattle wrestling is one of the most lucrative crimes in the West, and one that Jenny and Annie find themselves pretty acclimated to, having grown up on ranches handling livestock. It seems only natural for them to start stealing other people's cattle, Two 16-year-old girls in trousers and shirts and bandanas, riding horses with Colt revolvers strapped to their sides, bandoleros across their chests, reveling in the thrill of their crime. Surely this will earn them a spot in the Wild Bunch. And yet, it does not. Cattle rustling is lucrative, but it's not the high-profile, news-catching crime that will earn them the respect of Doolin and his crew. And considering the punishment for being caught, generally speaking, is to be strung up on the nearest cottonwood tree, the girls find themselves back at square one, looking for another way to prove themselves true outlaws. That's when they realize they're thinking about this all wrong. They don't need to overcome the fact that they're women. They need to use that to their advantage. You see, the lawmen around these parts know to look for rough-and-tumble types like Doolin. These kinds of men practically advertise themselves as outlaws in need of arrest, the way they flaunt their stolen wealth and talk openly about their criminal exploits. It's a badge of honor for them to be so openly known but unable to be caught. But Jenny and Annie have something special. 
No sheriff, deputy, or marshal would ever look at a woman like Annie or a childlike girl like Jenny and suspect them of breaking the law. Half the time, they're just interested in getting to know them. So no one bats an eye when Jenny and Annie start making regular trips into the Pawnee and Osage tribe lands around Oklahoma. The cargo they carry, however, tells a different story because they're packing whiskey and lots of it. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's not long before Jenny and Annie become some of the most successful liquor smugglers in the West. And then people start to take notice. In 1895, Jenny and Annie make the news, much to their delight. Cattle Annie and Little Britches are the media's nicknames for the two, and they revel in the attention. Newspapers all around Oklahoma publish stories about the teenage outlaws, and people just eat up the stories. A far cry from being mocked at community dances, Jenny and Annie are now local celebrities. And with their fame, so grows their list of misdeeds, whether they actually committed them or not. The truth is, Jenny and Annie are never more than small-time rustlers and bootleggers, but the rumors quickly outrun the facts. Cattle Annie and Little Britches are credited with bank heists, train robberies, and murders, several of which miraculously occurred hundreds of miles apart on the same day. Pretty good for a couple of teenagers. This is an important moment in the story, not just for Jenny and Annie, but for the personas they created for themselves. Legend overtakes the truth. It no longer matters what Jenny and Annie actually do. It only matters what people think Cattle Annie and Little Britches did. And that is precisely the way they want it. That was what all this was about. Surpassing the expectations of others, doing more than what anyone thought they could do, being more than what anyone thought they could be. And if that means they have to let the truth get bent a little to do so, so be it. But all things must come to an end. This we know. And becoming outlaw folk heroes is a double-edged sword for a number of reasons. Jenny and Annie bask in the glory of their exploits. The myth that surrounds them is Cattle Annie and Little Britches. But it's not just their fans who hear about them. It might be commonplace for hardened career criminals to avoid the long but relatively outmatched arm of the law out here in the Wild West. But two teenage girls plastered on newspaper front pages across the country? That's a different animal entirely. These girls have been making a mockery of these lawmen. They don disguises, putting on dresses, fixing up their hair, and they go out into town and eat, shop, and dance right next to the very officers trying to capture them. And if that weren't enough, they take what they've learned from those men and give it to Doolin and his friends, ensuring that they remain one step ahead of the law too. It's an embarrassment to the men of law enforcement out in these parts. Their antics are no longer cute, but loathsome. And while, of course, they're interested in catching the real killers out there in the wilderness, it becomes a priority in 1895 to bring these girls to justice and show everyone that no one is above or below the law. Jenny is the first to be arrested. 
She's caught on one of her runs delivering bootleg whiskey to the Pawnee tribal lands. And as she's brought back into town, she's as sure as ever that this is the end of the fun for her. But this isn't how Jenny pictured going down. No, far from it. She pleads with her captor with her eyes, begging for a moment's respite. He unties her, letting her rest her sore arms and legs. And maybe it's her sweet talk, or maybe he's taken by her face. But this good-hearted lawman figures, pay, can't hurt to give this poor girl one last meal before taking her in, right? Far from the kind of hospitality normally afforded to wanted criminals, Jenny is taken out to dinner on a date after her arrest. And there she really lays it on thick with him. How she never wanted a life like this. How she just fell into it because there was never a man to show her the way. Not someone strong and handsome and kind like himself. Jenny chokes, rife with emotion. She excuses herself to the restroom to freshen up. And the officer obliges. Who is he to deny a lady her right to clean herself up? He waits and waits. She should be back by now, shouldn't she? She should be back. But instead, she's out of the bathroom window and onto a stolen horse, riding away to freedom. It's yet another embarrassment for the reputation of the law as Jenny escapes custody and reunites with Cattle Annie to warn her. They're coming for them. And then there's one thing Jenny and Annie do not count on. The tenacity, determination, and skill of Deputy U.S. Marshal Sheriff Bill Tillman. You almost certainly don't know Tillman the way that you know some of his cohorts. Wyatt Earp, Bat Masterson for starters, but Tillman's reputation as a lawman is both unimpeachable and terrifying. He is a man of principle, one incorruptible and impervious to bribery and graft. He's also a story gunfighter, with just as much skill as any man on the opposite side of the law. You don't live to the age of 70 as a Wild West Marshal without knowing how to survive. Tillman will go on to capture Jenny and Annie's idol, William Doolin, and eradicate most of the Wild Bunch. And in 1960, long after his death, he'll be inducted into the Hall of Great Westerners. But right now, Tillman has his sights set on Cattle Annie and Little Bridges. So here we return to our opening scene. Jenny and Annie hole up in a cabin when Tillman and his men arrive outside, determined not to let them escape again. But Jenny and Annie are just as determined not to go out this way. We can only guess as to what's going through their minds right now as they wait for Tillman and his armed men to break through that door. But it's not hard to imagine that Jenny turns to Annie and Annie turns to Jenny, each the other's best friend, confidant, and partner the only person to ever truly believe in them, and they smile. Gunfire is exchanged. Annie runs to the window and crashes through it. But she's apprehended before she can reach her horse. Jenny, however, manages to gallop away. You can almost see Annie's grin as she's tied up by one of Tillman's men, watching her friend's figure shrink into the distance. Tillman gives chase, but as determined as he is, he's not willing to shoot a young girl. So he shoots her horse instead. Ever the outlaw, Jenny throws sand in Tillman's face, clawing at him, fighting to the last, until he finally subdues her. And just like that, the reign of terror of Cattle Annie and Little Britches is over. 
In September 1895, the two 16-year-olds go before the 4th Judicial District of the Oklahoma Territory. They're charged with illegal sale of whiskey to the Pawnee and Osage tribes, as well as several counts of cattle rustling. Judge Andrew G. Curtin finds them guilty in a hurry, but even now, he takes pity on them. He sees them as young women, lost and in need of direction, but with the potential to be productive members of society. He sentences them each to just one year in prison in Massachusetts, just about as far as they can get from the outlaws of the frontier. It appears that their story is over. But when the girls board their train to Massachusetts, they're met by a throng of adoring fans. Contrary to what they might have thought, their arrest hasn't dimmed their spotlight. It's made it burn brighter. Jenny and Annie's eyes meet. They grin, take each other's hands, and raise them to the crowd, basking in their glory. And in this moment, they realize... They did it. They became more than themselves. They became legends. The fame surrounding Catalani and Little Britches dies down once they begin their sentences, as the public concerns themselves with the latest holdups and bandits. Both girls are released early for good behavior. Jenny returns to her family in Oklahoma, and this time, she really settles down. She marries again, and the third time is the charm for her. She has a family and slides comfortably into the roles of wife and mother. Annie, it seems, is still unwilling to settle down. She stays back east, working as a domestic servant just as she did in her younger years, worried that returning to Oklahoma would cause her to fall back into her old ways. In 1898, she reportedly leaves her job as a housekeeper in Farmingham, Massachusetts, to move to New York City, where she falls ill with tuberculosis. Within several weeks, Annie McDoolett is dead. Or is she? The reports say Cattle Annie died in New York, but if that were true, then why is she here, back in Tulsa, performing in a Wild West show? According to several other equally legitimate reports, Annie returns to Oklahoma, marries a man named Earl Frost, has two sons, divorces Earl, and joins a traveling Wild West show. It's said she performs with the troupe until meeting and marrying a Texas man named Whitmore Roach. That's when she finally settles, as Jenny did, in Oklahoma. This woman lives a full, wonderful life, passing away in 1978 at the ripe old age of 96. Her obituary makes no mention of a criminal past life, and doesn't even use the name Annie, choosing instead to call her by her middle name, Emmeline. Now, whether or not the real cattle Annie managed to beat out reports of her death and live longer than most people get the chance to is an interesting question, but one that is tangential to the point. As with the way these two women lived, it was never about the facts of the story. It's about the legend. It's about the triumph of two young girls who made the decision together that they would never let society tell them who they had to be. A truly revolutionary concept, a century before its time. The two young women who shared the same dream and made that dream a reality, becoming a legend. And legends? They never die. Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains is executive produced by Jason and Carissa Weiser and Colin Thompson. Today's episode was written by Jeremy Novick. It's produced by DJ Lubell, edited and sound designed by Anton Doty, and mixed and mastered by Matt Sewell. 
Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains, is a cast original podcast. Hey everyone, Jason and Carissa here. If you're enjoying Scoundrel, History's Forgotten Villains, we would really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review. Also, we'd love your feedback. Go to castmedia.com slash scoundrelfeedback and answer our survey. Thanks. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.